Okay. Here it is, Greg. We've teased it. We've talked about it. We've already have one episode under our belts. It's the Blue White Breakdown, Penn Live's own Penn State podcast. Little video as well. I'm excited. It's game week. Indiana uh, is, is calling Saturday for Penn State in Bloomington, 3.30 kick, Greg. But we got a lot of news to get to. I mean... I mean, normally we would just, Greg, or we would just be talking about maybe James Franklin and what he had to say, and we will. We're going to get to that, Greg, but uh, we got to talk about the big news involving Journey Brown, and then also, because it's the first step chart, and it looks like it's more definitive than normal, um, we're going to give our observations on the initial Penn State depth chart for Indiana, and then we're going to segue right into some of the more interesting things that James had to say during his Tuesday press conference via Zoom. We're via Zoom as well. Greg, let's get this started. Got to start with uh, some news that is not very good. Um, the one thing I would say is it looks like, though, reading between the tea leaves with Journey Brown, he's got an undisclosed injury that's going to uh, sideline him indefinitely. Um, James Franklin read the release again today, Tuesday afternoon. He, um, you know, there, I guess there is an outside chance he could return this year, but Greg, as it stands right now, Penn State is moving forward without a running back that was, a, was one of the best running backs in the country uh, down the stretch last year. Journey Brown's going to be on the sidelines. That means they're going to see a lot more of Noah Kane, which isn't a bad thing, but Greg, just your thoughts on what you know. We had kind of heard, you know, some rumblings that there might be something um, not right with Journey Brown, and it turns out it's true. Yeah, we just don't know what at this point, Bob. Obviously, uh, they're calling it a medical condition, not an injury. I don't know what that means or does not mean. Uh, they're saying he could potentially miss the full season or he could maybe not. Maybe he'll come back at some point. James Franklin, as uh, as is the usual, doesn't really go into a lot of detail on these things, whether they're medical problems or whether they're injuries or whatever. So um, we won't know until Journey Brown talks sometime down the road uh, what exactly is the problem here. But ultimately, it's uh, uh, certainly not the way Penn State envisioned starting game week to learn that this guy who had such a tremendous cotton bowl and was primed and ready to uh, really, I think, take the next step, Bob, is going to be unable to play, at least for the time being. But the good news, of course, is that they have plenty of, uh, you know, they have plenty of skill and talent and depth at that spot. And uh, you're right, it starts with Noah Kane. Yeah, and it just kind of, you know, let's obviously, Journey Brown is, has been quite a story at Penn State. Um, as you know from the recruiting trail, Greg, he was not really a guy that was, I think, coveted coming out of Meadville, known as much probably for his, his track ability as he was for his football ability. He certainly paid his dues while at Penn State. Um, he had to get bigger and stronger, and he did. He always had that speed. He had to be patient last year, Greg. Remember, we were talking at this time – Season opener last year, everyone was just, you know, excited about Ricky Slade and what he was going to do as a starter. You had Noah Kane and Devin Ford, the, the, the heralded true freshmen that were poised to play right away. And not, not, I don't know that people were really talking a lot about Journey. Waited his time. Noah Kane got hurt. He started at Minnesota, and, man, did he run with that opportunity. Just I think he had a little under 800 yards in his final five games. 
You mentioned the Cotton Bowl. Every game he played, though, he, he ran well at Minnesota, ran well against Ohio State, ran well against Rutgers, ran well against Indiana. And now he's, he's you know, kind of shelved indefinitely. I do want to just move it a little bit forward to Noah Kane, Greg. Uh, a couple things on him. You know, he was a guy that had one heck of a true freshman year, eight rushing touchdowns, made the most of almost every carry, almost impossible to stop for negative yardage. And Greg, this year, obviously he's going to have a bigger role. And when, when, when we look at, uh, at Noah Kane, the first thing that jumps out to me is, um, he's added almost 20 pounds to his frame, and he was a pretty uh, imposing runner as a true freshman. So what do you think about Noah Kane and maybe what he can do as, as the probable lead back? Yeah, I mean, I think it's disappointing to know that we're not going to see what Journey Brown and Noah Kane look like in Kirk Scirocco's offense because one thing we've heard Kirk talk about endlessly, Bob, is that he will tailor this offense to his best players. Those two guys, obviously, two of the best players on this offense. Now Noah Kane takes that role by himself. And, you know, I think if he's healthy, he can be every bit of the back Journey Brown was, if not even maybe a little bit better. You know, he can run people over. He has good foot speed. Um, and, you know, I think that – he won't have to – he can be an every down back, but I don't think he's going to need to be because we are hearing as much buzz about Devin Ford as anyone. Um, the players who talked on Tuesday morning after the journey news came out basically said, look, uh, we, you know, wish him well and wish he was back and wish he was playing and all that. But uh, they feel comfortable with Noah Kane and uh, Devin Ford and then the two young kids, Keziah Holmes and Kevon Lee, are getting a lot of good uh, – a good praises, I guess you could say, coming out of camp and everything. So when you put it all together, you know, again, if you were going to lose a guy at a spot, you ever want to lose anyone. And um, But if you were going to lose it at a spot, running back would be the one that you might just feel the best about doing it because, again, they have so much depth there and they have enough experience uh, along with some guys who look like even without much playing time, uh, they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, and before I ask you about Kaseya Holmes, I wanted to just follow up, just kind of reading the tea leaves. Greg, you talked, I think, to Pat Fryermuth and I believe Jesse Lucada about, about Journey Brown and James. Just the way that James talked about his issue and the way that the players talked about Journey Brown's issue, I kind of feel like the players and James feel good about – Journey Brown's long-term health. I mean, we're, we're not really sure what it is. We've heard some things, but usually if it's, you know, if it's, if it's something that's super, super serious, it's kind of reflected in the mood of the head coach and the players. That, that didn't really seem to be the case. I think they're, they're uh, upbeat's not the word, but I think, you know, J you know, James made a point to say, you know, we're not going to lose sight of Journey Brown you know, the man, he's always going to be around us. He's going to be at the games. He's going to be at practice. Um, it just seems like maybe there's a there might be a little bit, hopefully there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel as far as, you know, his long-term health. Yeah, I got that same exact feeling, Bob. I really did. You could tell that there wasn't this, um, you know, think about last year, some of the guys who were banged up, even the way they talked about Noah Kane at times was, um, in a way, you know, there was a, always a kind of a tinge of disappointment that they weren't able to get him back and ready yet. And yeah, everyone kind of felt like they had his back and they had his uh, best interest in mind. And everyone seemed pretty, yeah, again, the upbeat and positive is not really the right words, but I mean, that's kind of how it was. And I yeah. think that you could tell that these guys are comfortable with 
whatever journey has to do to get back and that what he's going through right now and everything else. So, yeah, I got that same sense too. And I know you wanted to talk about uh, Kaziah Holmes. I mean, if you saw that uh, Lion's Den video where he jumped over the guy in uh, Saquon Barkley's number 26, I think it was Tyler Rudolph. Um, you know, that was, uh, that was some impressive stuff on the Beaver Stadium turf for a guy that has spent, uh, what, I mean, a few months now in state college and playing at the college level. So, yeah, they knew they were getting a good one when they signed him, Bob, and that has certainly turned out to be the case. So, so far, we'll see what happens when the pads come on. Yeah, and I, I would just add to that, Greg, you and I have – have followed James Franklin since he's been in state college. Greg, would you agree they are not going to put that video out on social media unless they feel really, really good about Keziah Holmes and what he can do because it's really not James Franklin's nature. You kind of have to earn it at Penn State. Even, even if you're a unique talent, they've got to see enough of it. You've got to be doing things the right way. They're not going to They're not gonna do that for a true freshman unless – it's all systems go right away. That, that to me was a telling sign that they, I think they are going to, as he continues to develop this year, they are going to find a role for him because he's that good. Yeah, I thought that was really telling. And the other thing I thought was interesting was basically we know how much he dislikes giving the other opponent any information at all. And so right. to put that out there, um, you could tell that he knew that that was a pretty special play that will get them some play on social media. Cause otherwise he wouldn't really want to be tipping off Indiana. I don't think that uh, the four-star freshman running back from Florida can jump over guys already, even before he's taken his first college snap. So yeah, I have to assume they like what they saw there, Bob. Yeah. Let's continue on Greg pickle with blue white breakdown on Bob Flounders joined by Greg, and we're pretty, kind of breaking down the news of the early game week for Indiana. We talked a lot about uh, the issue with Journey Brown. Let's now talk about the depth chart, Greg. I think you and I both have some, uh, some thoughts on, on what we read and what we saw. There's some surprising names and some surprising places. I'll let you start. Are there a, is there a player or two, good or bad, um, that jumped out to you with whether they were on the first team, second team, third team, what were some of your biggest surprises? Yeah, I think the receiver one was a little bit interesting to me. The fact that the Parker Washington, uh, four-star Parker Washington uh, is a starting receiver in a slot, I believe they had him listed at. doesn't maybe shock me, but uh, we've heard a lot of good things about him and Keandre Smith-Lambert. So the fact that, that Washington's the one that gets a nod was definitely notable. I was a little bit surprised that Cam Sullivan-Brown had seemingly beaten out Daniel George. George for that uh, uh, receiver job opposite Jahan Dotson. But ultimately, Bob, I still think the first game's about as close to an open audition as you can get for all of those guys beside Dotson. And, you know, I guess the other thing, too, is it's a little bit scary, the depth situation they have at receiver there. I mean, if a guy or two goes down, um, they are not very deep, not as deep as I thought they were, they were um, at receiver. So, I think that's something that we'll have to keep an eye out for as well as this season starts is what uh, what receivers are stepping up, and then if a guy or two goes down, where do they turn first? Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Parker Washington a little bit later in this podcast because James Franklin was asked about him specifically, and he, he had a very interesting um, couple of comments about why this guy is in the position he's in. It's, he's, you know, he's got a very unique ability. Um, you know, Greg, a couple other notes on my end. 
maybe not a huge surprise, but I think it just speaks to just how good this player could be. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., they, they have a lot of second-year players they like, and James talked about the depth of, of the secondary at safety and at corner, but it's Joey Porter, the kid who redshirted last year, who is a starter along with Tariq Castro-Fields. It's not Keaton Ellis or Marquise Wilson, the two players they didn't redshirt last year and who played they, they played quite a bit down the stretch. Joey Porter is a long corner who is very athletic and fast. We talked about how, as terms of pure talent, he's as good as any corner that Penn State has, but on, it, it just took him a little while to kind of figure out all that goes with you know, playing corner. It's not just physical ability. Um, I, it looks to me like they have four or five corners they really like, but you said it, it's, it's you know, things are going to, people are going to get hurt. Things are going to change. Tariq Cashville-Fields is their top corner right now, but it really feels like they, they are very excited about Joey Porter Jr. Yeah, I was interested to see he beat out Keaton Ellis. And again, I think that's kind of like this, the receiver situation a bit where we're going to see Keaton Ellis. We're going to see Marquise Wilson. Um, so I, I do think that that is a, a position battle that was won by Joey Porter Jr. apparently, and that means he'll get to start and he may get one series and, you know, two series to Keaton Ellis is one and Marquise Wilson's one, you know, who knows, but um, yeah, that's caught, that, I, I don't want to say it caught me off guard a little bit, but I had just kind of assumed that that would be Keaton Ellis's job to win. And clearly Joey Porter Jr. I mean, we saw in the Maryland game last year, I believe it was the flashes of how good he could be. And uh, clearly during this pandemic shortened camp, he put those, uh, those performances to an even higher level to win that job. Yeah, and we should also point out that in this day and age of, of the way that people throw the ball all over the place, they're going to play. There's going to be three corners on the field quite a bit. They're going to be in nickel and dime sets. So maybe it's not necessarily important if you're a top two corner because the top three guys going to play. And, you know, if, if they're playing a team that's in, you know, a tempo offense where they spread the field, they're going to play four corners quite a bit. But just, I think, and, and and we'll talk about Joey Porter a little bit later because James talked about him. Two other points I want to make with regard to the depth chart. Um, you know, confirmation that Des Holmes is really a backup guard right now. He was a, he was a quality third tackle for them last year. Obviously, Caden Wallace, a second-year player, is probably now a better fit at offensive tackle. He looks like, to me like right now, you know, he's the swing tackle with Will Fries starting on the right side and Rasheed Walker starting on the left side. And, you know, Greg, I want to, I want to bring this up. Um, James talked about a little bit about the tight end room. Uh, it is Brenton Strange. It is not Zach Keats who is listed as the number two tight end. I wonder, maybe they're like three guys, but I kind of, I really got the feeling that maybe Zach was going to be number two going into the season. Maybe it doesn't really matter, but it, it would seem to me that Brenton Strange, if they're going to go two tight ends against Indiana, it's going to be him. Yeah, that one was a little bit interesting too, Bob, because I think we both had the sense during the offseason that Zach Kuhn, he's 6'7", he's 258 now. Um, I just had the impression that he had taken such a big step forward that he would be that number two guy. But you're right, Strange gets that nod initially. So we'll see if Zach, the uh, the – Camp Hill native can find his way onto the field here at some point, but you know, I think they could get him involved in the red zone too. So um, that, that could be another way that he sees the field, even though he might not be the top 
in the top two tight end pairings with uh, Friar Muth and Strange. But, yeah, I guess the only other thing that jumped off at me, Bob, um, you know, you asked James Franklin about the linebackers. I know we'll talk about them in a little bit. But uh, Devin Ford is the uh, kickoff returner along with Lamont Wade. So they will get Devin Ford involved no matter what, uh, whether it's out of the backfield with Noah Kane or uh, as a returner. So I thought that was interesting. And uh, Jordan Stout is indeed going to handle uh, most of the field goal jobs, though. They have Jake Pinninger listed, or I'm sorry, most of the kicking jobs and also be the punter, but uh, they do have Jake Pinninger listed as the starting kicker. And I do think that that'll mean um, that that'll mean that he'll do the short kicks again and Stout will do the long ones. Right. First of all, Greg, I commend you. That's a good special teams depth chart breakdown lookout. I know that somewhere if Joe Lorig sees our podcast and our video, he's going to give you two thumbs up because I think people tend to overlook special teams. I think what Jordan Stout is going to mean to this team uh, this year is, is significant. It's about field position. It's about, you know, if they need to attempt a long field goal, whether or not he makes it, he certainly got the leg for them to try it. Um, and you're, you're right. The return game, Maybe they can spring uh, uh, Devin Ford, who's a very talented player, on a long one. But, yes, that's, let's not forget about the special teams. Greg, before we actually get now to some of James Franklin's juicier quotes today, that's a tease, um, why don't you just tell our audience what they can do to rate, review, and access the Blue White breakdown podcast yeah that's right bob so our new extended uh version we're gonna get dave jones involved we're gonna have here's a breakdown let me just break it down for him bob we have five daily <laughs> updates those are about six to ten minutes of dustin hawkinsmith reading the headlines about what you need to know each and every morning about penn state football you and i are going to do this every tuesday uh the episode mm-hmm. everything goes right on a technical aspect we'll post tuesday afternoon it's right around dinner time um if everything goes as planned with with the downloads, uploads, and all that fun stuff. So we'll do this every Tuesday. You and Dave Jones will look ahead to kickoff on Thursday and then recap mm-hmm. the game following the game, uh, whether you're at home or on the road. So the Blue White Breakdown, you can listen to it on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get your audio. And we'll have the videos up to youtube.com slash State. Yeah, it really is. And I'm going to use this word, podcast palooza, Greg, because there's only seven days in the week. And if my math is good, and Greg, I was the fifth grade flashcard champion at Governor Wolf Elementary School in Bethlehem, PA. I know you don't know that. I know the fans don't know that. I was a lights out. Uh, my multiplication tables, one through 12, lights out. Nobody could beat me. So if my math is right, Greg, we're going to do, Dave and I are going to do two podcasts. You and I are going to do a podcast. And Dustin's got a daily morning update. That's eight. And there's only seven days in a week. So we're going the extra mile for, I think, our audience. I hope they enjoy it. And if they don't, please tell us what we could do better, Greg. Let's get, I know, let's finally get to James Franklin's uh, Tuesday news conference. He talked for a little bit more than 30 minutes, a lot about Journey Brown. But, um, you know, he also had some interesting comments about some players that maybe the fan base um, has yet to really know about because there was no spring practice, Greg. And, you know, there just hasn't been a lot. We haven't been allowed to watch practice. So we're kind of taking the players and James at their words. But usually if they say something good, uh, they mean it. Let's start with Parker Washington. Um, you mentioned him in the slot. They list him at 5'10", 205. Usually when somebody's listed at 5'10", they might be 5'9". It's usually a generous listing. But James made the comment that he is built uh, more like a running back, which would 
lead me to believe he is going to work in the slot. But also, um, James mentioned his elite ball skills and also made reference to him making a number of dazzling one-handed catches that only not only caught James's attention, but also the attention of Sean Clifford. Yeah, that's exactly the takeaway I had, too, was that it almost felt like this kid was out there doing things that maybe some of his veteran teammates could or would do uh, in years past. So, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that they like what he's capable of and they think he's going to be a primetime player. And, yeah, he made – James Franklin did make reference to the fact that he just seemed to make so many one-handed catches that – uh, you know, and it wasn't the way I understood that. And correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, but he was basically saying that some people try and make the easy plays in college football too hard, and they make yeah. it. Look, they may try to make it look harder than it is, or more special than it really is. And he made it almost sound like Parker Washington has figured out a way to make it look pretty, but not make it difficult or hard. So that should be good news for Penn State fans. Again, I think with Taylor Stubblefield coming in to coach this group, the question was really just simply would he be able to translate his uh, extreme talents from his coaching or from his playing days into coaching this group? And sounds like so far so good, at least as it relates to Parker Washington. Yes. James was also asked about um, if he had a feel for what this team could do this year. No Micah Parsons, uh, no KJ Hamler, no John Reed. They lost all their entire linebacker group. James mentioned, and he said, I believe the word was significant depth. And I think that is going to be a key storyline, Greg, for this team this year. They might not have a returning All-American linebacker, Greg, but what they do have is they have a really deep linebacker room. You want to get that? You can. I will. I will. Clearly, I'm going to fill up. Hold of that. You want to hit the off button on your phone, Greg, and that will. There we go. Is Lola calling you? Is your dog calling you? Yeah, she's missing you right now, Bob. Where Where is the peanut butter, Dad? Um, yeah. But um, you know they don't they don't have Micah, they don't have Cam Brown, they don't have Jan Johnson. But um, James pretty effus- effusive. There's a ten cent word uh, in his praise for Jesse Lucada and Ellis Brooks, who are going to start and be the leaders of that room. And I specifically asked him about Brandon Smith, and he said, you know. When you see what this guy has done physically to transform himself, it's going to be something. I think you're going to see it right away in the Indiana game. He he said, you know, when I get off the bus, he's going to be standing right next to me, a nod to what he kind of looks like now. He's almost identical in size to Micah Parsons. He just lacks the experience. But Greg, um, and he even, you know, he feels really good, Greg, about his top six linebackers. Also, Charlie Catcher, the former Cumberland Valley guy who he thinks is very versatile, uh, and Curtis Jacobs. Just what your thoughts on how he kind of – I was surprised. I mean, you know, he you could tell he really likes this linebacker room, and he said it was really testament to the way they've been able to recruit. Yeah, I think there's no doubt that they've recruited that position well. But, yeah, you would not think that he was talking about a position group that not only sees three starters graduate leave, but also an All-American go with them. So, I mean, you would not know that they are replacing those three guys based on the way James Franklin talked about this group. Uh, as it stands right now. So, you know, they moved Jesse Lucetta outside. That's interesting. Ellis Brooks starts in the middle. I think we will see some of Lance Dixon. I think he's working on the side opposite Brandon Smith, who, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. He has Micah Parsons-like expectations at this point. That may be unfair, and that may be too much hype this early in his career, but we've just heard so many good things about him. He was a five-star when he was in high school, Bob, and it sounds like he's really prepared to take the next step. And if that, 
that's the case, then he has every bit of a chance to play, uh, start working his way toward what number 11 was able to do at Penn State. Yeah. Um, two more things as we wrap up this uh, blue-white breakdown. I think that, Greg, later in the week we're going to have a story and some information about – it was interesting to hear James talk about um, because it's a road game, some of the precautions that they're going to take in terms of travel and some of the conversations he's had with maybe not the players that are going um, on the trip, but they're going to stay behind. And also he had some conversations COVID related with the players' parents. I think we're going to get into that a little bit later this week. I just wanted to ask you um, uh, if there was any other comments that struck you from James's news conference. I just wanted to say we talked about Joey Porter and James said, you know, one of the reasons he's ready this year is because uh, he's, he's kind of figured it out all the way around. And he said, you know, last year at this time, he was so upset when they told him he was going to redshirt because he's, he's, he was positive he was ready. And James said, or, you know, a couple days ago, we talked to him and, and Joey admitted he really wasn't ready. So uh, I, I just think that it speaks to maybe uh, James and his, his coaches kind of have the players' best interests at heart. And they're not just going to play them and burn a year of eligibility unless they really feel like, the, A, they're ready, and B, they can help the team. So I thought that was an interesting nugget. Greg, before we close, is there any other comments? He was asked a lot of questions about a, a lot of different areas. Anything else jump out to you, James? Yeah, I thought you were – I mean, he was asked – you talk about Joey Porter Jr. and not burning the uh, red shirt last year. He was asked about the green, yellow, red structure they usually use in terms of green means go when these guys are first-year players. Yellow means maybe they will, maybe they won't. Red is a no keep in mind that everyone gets a free year of eligibility so it doesn't matter if you play one game four games or 10 games you're still going to be a true freshman next year so I basically think he said without saying that they're not going to have that red yellow green if they can get guys in they yeah. will but keep in mind too that they don't have the non-conference slate to you know put some of these guys out there when it's 45 nothing against Kent State in the third quarter so uh, I think that we'll see some of those guys, you know, but I don't know if we'll see as many of them as you might think. Uh, yeah, and you, you bring up another good point, too, about this road game travel. I mean, they're not eating on the bus or on the plane. I assume that's because they want to keep their mask on. Uh, they're getting one. I was wondering how many hotel rooms they have to book to get everyone <laughs> to the hotel room. I was wondering. He was saying that, uh, you know, they have to stay further away than they ever have before. I was thinking – did they rent a hotel at like the Indy airport or what? Um, I was going to say they got to be staying in Indianapolis. I mean, I don't know where else you could stay that's Indiana. Yeah. So that should be an interesting, I mean, I know hotel rooms are pretty, uh, pretty available right now, but that could pose some interesting challenges at some point down the road. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And then just to wrap up what you said there, um, he did make the point that, they are worried a little bit about the kids who stay home, who don't make the travel roster, having issues with, you know, uh, going out maybe or not being disciplined and then maybe contracting COVID and then giving it to the rest of the players. But the other thing is the family part of it. You know, uh, there's some people like the Friermuth family, Pat said this morning, his parents, because of the kind of quarantine rules that are in place in Massachusetts, aren't going to come to any games. Some parents certainly will, no matter what the rules are, no matter where it is. But the problem is they may not have seen their son for two months, three months, whatever it is. And they're going to be tempted to go see their kids after the game or before the game. And that right. could introduce COVID to the team that way. So everyone's just going to have to be mindful of what is going on in the middle of all this uh, in the country. And then obviously they're going to test every day. So if there is an outbreak, hopefully they catch it and can, 
uh, contact trace it quick enough. But yeah, Bob, the fun is almost here. And James Franklin said he's going to sleep well on Friday night, knowing that I don't believe him. In place, I don't believe him either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and just just a note, uh, just hearing him talk, really his attention to detail, Greg, when it comes to being involved in every every aspect of the program in a, in a, in a positive way. I just I have a hard time believing, Greg, that there are a lot of coaches who are able to kind of be that focused and that, you know, he wants to, there's not a lot that gets past James Franklin, whether it's dealing with the pandemic or dealing with parents or dealing with players and meetings and all that stuff. It's really, it's been really kind of fascinating to listen to listen to him talk since this whole thing started about all really that's gone into his handling of the Penn state program kind of started early with his decision to keep his family in Florida uh, a big sacrifice, but he really, uh, he is about as focused of a uh, leader of a football program that I can ever remember hearing about or being around. I don't know if you feel that way, but yeah. like if he sleeps well on Friday, Greg, it's probably just because he's exhausted because I don't know how you can get to all the things you need to get to in this special year, but it seems like he's, he's certainly giving it his best shot. Yeah, there's no question about that, Bob. He is kind of on top of everything. And, you know, he always talks about being prepared and having a book. And, you know, there was not a COVID chapter before. Now I'm sure there's hundreds of pages of COVID notes. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure they have all the boxes checked. And uh, I know later in the week we'll get into some predictions and things like that. But I are they are six-and-a-half-point favorites as we sit here on Tuesday. I think the total has tipped up a little bit from, like, 56 to 58, something like that. So, some early betting on the over, but we'll talk more about that later in the week. I think that uh, it's nice to be back and have a normal Tuesday with James Franklin. And before long, it'll be time for another podcast. All right, guys, you stay safe and you will be hearing from Dave Jones and I in a couple of days. I know you can't wait.